So I'm going to talk this morning, I'm a, we're, we're in Christmas, we're two weeks away, actually, less than, well wait, 10 days today? Today's 10 days till Christmas morning. Um, we have two Sundays, I'm going to talk to this Sunday in, in, in regards to Christmas, but I, I love the, you know, there's so much that is, there's so many in-depth, I believe, stories that we read about Jesus coming as God, man, to us, to save us. And I love, the details of how this took place are so amazing and mind-boggling to me. I still, I can still recall, I've been walking with the Lord for over 30 years now, I, I, I think it's 35 or something like that, that the Lord has, I've been walking with the Lord, the Lord's been walking with me, but I can still recall the very first Christmas that I knew Jesus as Lord and Savior, simply because all the other Christmases before were about other things, uh, and granted, my childhood wasn't great wasn't even good in fact it was pretty horrible there were so many christmases that i have bad memories of um from being six years old and having an uncle that lived with us in our house and for some reason my mom had gotten somebody that helped her and got a bunch of gifts for us kids and and uh and we had i remember seeing about about at least from my memory like about 10 gifts under the tree and then we left out to do something one day, and we came back, and they're all gone. Literally all gone. This isn't a joke, and it wasn't a joke. They didn't reappear from Santa. That Somebody, we think it was my uncle, just took him in and traded him in for drugs. Sold him and got some dope out of the deal. Um, now this uncle walks with the Lord, but those are the things that I remember thinking and hoping that Santa would actually come. And really believing that Santa would come and waking up and getting a stocking full of oranges and apples and walnuts. Those were, and I thought it was great. I don't know. I remember I was talking to somebody about it and thinking, you know, getting the really good nuts in my, in my stocking. That was like, wow, these are really tasty nuts. And that was great and glorious to me, and that's what I knew Christmas was, what I could get, what I would get. And I still remember thinking, man, I would like to give something for Christmas, you know, and having a couple dollars, maybe somehow, some way, I don't know, I probably stole it, and going and buying my mom an ashtray for Christmas. And, and that was like, that was the extent of what, those are some of the memories that I had. But so then when I gave my life to the Lord, the Lord revealed himself to me, and Christmas was this new thing. It was like, wow, how awesome is this? To just the thought, my mind, my brain was going berserk trying to wrap it around this idea that God came to us and had it all planned out to save us. And so the stories to me, they, they're not just stories that I grew up listening to and they become so humdrum. They've that since that they've been life they've been alive and i and and every time i delve into the christmas story if you will i like wow they get more out of it and so it comes alive even more so even as i share this morning i 
I just feel like I'm sharing something that I felt like the Lord even brought more to life in regards to the Christmas story. So kind of just bear with me for a week or two, these next couple of weeks, because I'm just going to share some of this stuff that I feel like the Lord just really wanting me to share for, for us and um, what God's doing in our lives. And I'm just, I'm just thrilled to be a part of what God's doing. Amen? Amen. You guys with me this morning? Okay, good. I'm going to read this uh, verse in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 30 and 32, and this is Simeon. Simeon, a righteous man, is what he refers to. I longed to see the Savior come. And the Lord had showed him. The Lord had, the Lord had revealed to him through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had, had enlightened his spirit that he would not see death until he saw the Messiah witnessed him with his own eyes and then the holy spirit again as as the lord gave him that word gave him that within his very soul the holy spirit spoke to him and i love this and i love how our our you know these stories it it, kind of blows uh modern or traditional theology out of the water sometimes because we we always assume that we've we've come to conclusions i think somewhere somehow that God the Holy Spirit really didn't come onto the scene until after the resurrection of Jesus. And that's just not true because we know that God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and God the Son have been, always have been, and always will be three in one. The Holy Spirit would make himself known, make himself reveal, and present himself many forms, many ways before Jesus. And this is one of them. He spoke to Simeon and said, I, you will see the Savior before you die. And so this is neat. I like how he says it this way. So he gets to see Jesus as a baby. He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Listen to what he's saying here. I love this. This is prophetic. For my eyes have seen your, my eyes have seen your salvation that you, God, have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Do you hear what he's saying in this? Is that this is this is what he's proclaiming is what actually is in existence right here and now today. We live in this in this prophetic proclamation that Jesus is the reason for all seasons. I said it last week because I believe that is the truth. Jesus is the reason for all seasons. When we get into everything that our world and all that goes on in our world, and there's so many confusions and different religions and different ways and different thoughts and different opinions and worldviews, but it still comes down to Jesus. Everything revolves and centers on Jesus and who Jesus is. Jesus coming into our realm at this time, at a perfect time, right? Our calendars say it. We celebrate Christmas. Yes, it's the and yeah, we we're 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 we we've gotten confused. You know, we can't say Merry Christmas in certain realms and certain groups. But so you got to say Happy Holidays. We went to Carson's little. Uh, where's Carson at? Hey, buddy. He he's learned the saxophone. He is the sexy sax player. Yes, he likes that a lot. Yeah. He's pretty good. You should have seen him when he came, when he started bringing this thing home. It was quite, um, 
challenging to, to listen to for a few nights there. Almost to where his brothers would be like, gosh, shut it up, stop. Is like, because the sax fills the house. And it was fantastic. I loved it. It blessed my heart, though. I blessed my heart because I, I noticed something, and I noticed, and I noticed it, and I know that he did, and, and even his brothers, and that every single night he practiced for 20 minutes to the second. I mean, it was 20 minutes. It was like, Eric's 20 minutes up yet? It's like, nope, another 30 seconds. Like, okay. But here's what happened. It was really great because they played in this choir and they played this orchestra and they played, played holiday music. And they tried to cloak it in this politically correct holiday music um, concert. But you can only play Jingle Bells and other songs in the midst of it. There was songs of the Savior. And I loved it because they call it a holiday extravaganza. But it was a Christmas concert, full-blown, all the way through and through. Because it was songs about Jesus coming. And it was great. And I loved it. Whether it was accidental or not, but it was there. And it was really fun to watch, Carson. I got a little video of it. One day I'll show it. And, or maybe we'll just have him play the sexy sax one day on a morning. He's getting better and better all the time, really. You could actually identify the songs that he's playing. It's really cool. It's re- it's, that's impressive. I, I think so. I mean, you know, that's, that's, I, I like that. But here's, a, here's you know, we, so we live in this realm. This is the world we live in. And I, I don't hesitate, and I, I encourage you, don't hesitate to tell people Merry Christmas. Just as much as you don't pause and hesitate to tell somebody that Jesus loves them. I mean, we shouldn't, we, we ought not to be afraid of consequences by proclaiming the name of Christ. Tell people, Merry Christmas. I love to do it. And it's, it's, it's not that, it's, there's so few people, honestly, there's a few loudmouths out there that have an issue with it. But we still like it. We still love it. And I believe everybody does. We still are a Christ-centered nation. We were founded and formed on biblical truths. And that's the truth. We haven't gone astray from it. We've kind of gotten a little bit confused here and there. But we're looking and we're working at getting back to it. Amen? Amen. Amen. But here's something I wanted to identify, and I thought this was interesting. Have you noticed in this, when, when uh, Simeon is saying this, a light, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Why does God distinguish between Jew and Gentiles so many places and throughout Scripture? That's a good question, right? Why does God distinguish between Jew and Gentiles? Doesn't he, didn't for God so love the world that whosoever believes in him? shall not perish and have everlasting life. Correct? So God loved the world, all in the world. Why is there this distinction between Jew and Gentile throughout Scripture? Even from the beginning to the end, why is there this, there's this, this distinction? Do you ever wonder that? I, you, you ought to become a little bit like, I have a four-year-old granddaughter, Addie. She's at everything is, every, everything that's presented in front of her is why? 
Why does that happen? Why do we do that? Why do we do this? She asked why about everything. And it's sometimes kind of fun because I have to stop and think and like, I, that's a good question. Why? I have to come up with a really good answer. Why? You know, do we just, you know, claim the fiddler on the roof and say, well, it's just tradition. We don't don't even know why we do what we do. No, we come up with good answers as to why. Hello, right? Why has God distinguished between Jew and Gentile? Do you know that there's a scriptural answer to that question? Now you do, and I'll give it to you, right? It's, and it's very simple. I, when I really started look, thinking of this, and it's like, well, that makes total sense. makes perfect sense. Is so that we all need Jesus. That's why. And he says it in Romans chapter 11, verse 32. It says, For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Have you ever read Romans chapter 11? Okay. Might not recall all that it's about, but its, its entirety is about the Jews and the Gentiles and the Gentiles having an issue with the Jews being the chosen as the, because they're the ones that, because now the Gentiles are the ones that are, are, are the um, uh, anointed. They're the ones that are Christians now. And so now it's like, well, wait, why, why do we need the Jews when we, are, we have Jesus? Well, uh, to me, that's kind of idiotic because Jesus was a Jew. I mean, so I, yeah, you need the Jews because Jesus comes from the Jews. Salvation comes from the Jews. But, is, but here's what it breaks down to is this very truth that God, God chose a chosen people. He said, these are the people, these are my people. Well, guess what did my people do to God? They turned their back on God. They rebelled against God. They forgot God. So then God says, well, then now that you have turned your back on me, I will share my love i will reveal myself to the gentiles also why did he do that well the gentiles before had no interest in god now god is saying well i'm going to share i'm going to show myself to the gentiles also so here's what it comes down to before you as a gentile before jesus you needed jesus the jews were chosen and they turned their back on god so now they need jesus as a savior So it comes down to this very truth in Paul writing it, for God has consigned all to disobedience. In other words, we all need God's mercy. We all need God's grace. We all need God's kindness. Every single one of us. So that distinguishes to not exclude anyone, but to include all. Does that make sense? made perfect sense to me. I don't know if the words came out as much as it made sense in my spirit, but it was like, wow, that's pretty simple to me. Well, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say in Romans, in Romans um, 3.22, it says, uh, well, actually, I'll start one, but the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, mm-hmm. for there is no difference. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And we all need Jesus. You know, and as as you guys hear me say that so much and how Jesus <laughs> we all need Jesus and we all have the capability of turning to him. 
I still wonder how much I actually get that or we get that is because I, I, we're still subject to all this stuff and, and my own premonitions, my own, <clears throat> my own thoughts, my own prejudices towards people. And if you don't identify yourself as having prejudices, you just really need to wake up because you do. Every single one of us do. And the quicker you identify them, the quicker you could walk through them <clears throat> and surrender them over to the Lord and to His mindset does that make sense? Because as I do, if I don't, then I can continue, they can continue to stick in my craw and I could look at people a certain way by whatever, however you have developed a prejudice against people or for people. And if you, if you don't look at people as Jesus looks at people, then you've developed a prejudice by a certain people, whether it's race, uh, um, um, <clears throat> religion, yes, religion, and even... even uh, uh, um, <clears throat> status, uh, um, monetary status, you know, you, you, your economic status, you, you know, all of us have them. I don't know how many of us think of certain people as, you know, the rich people as like, oh, they got it made. It's like, no, they don't. And, and, and think of poor people as like, oh, well, they get what they deserve. It's like, no, they don't. Um, <clears throat> we got to be careful. So as I'm saying all that, what I'm really getting into is is how much that I, I, and I encourage all of us to really understand God's mercy that is here and for all. Um, and I, I get shocked at this a lot, and I, I don't know why I do, but I shouldn't. But it comes down to where, where do I find and where do I see Jesus working in my life and in other lives? And what I've come to the conclusion is, is I see Jesus and I see Jesus working everywhere. I, you know, everywhere I look, I see Jesus working. I see Jesus' hand working in people's lives. I see it everywhere now. When I look, he's there. If I don't look, if I'm not looking to see Jesus there, what am I going to see? Not Jesus. I'm going to find, I'm going to see something that is not God at all. And I know that's like, well, this is, all it depends on what I see. Well, no, it's, it's when we allow ourselves to be blinded and deceived and duped into the enemy's tactics and tricks, we will, we, we kind of line ourselves and we put a barrier up. And Paul writes about it a whole lot. It's where he says, even when scripture's read, even when the Old Testament is read, because there's blinders on their eyes, they can't see the truth. They can't see the light. Even Jesus made the claim. He's like, I have come as the light of the world, but the darkness has not comprehended it. So there's places that darkness can block out the light by what that person chooses to block out. That gets deep. So I'm going to get into it. That's actually... A whole nother conversation. So let's not go there. Let's Isaiah chapter 9. That's where I want to go for a minute. Popular passage in regards to Christmas. Isaiah chapter 9. <clears throat> Starting in verse 1. I'm going to just break this down as we go through it to get to the end. So I can get to my second page of notes. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 9 says, But there will be... Listen to this. Because to get to... Um, <clears throat> To get to what this passage is about, we got to get through some stuff that we need to get through, and I think we need to go through it. It says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. And I love how Isaiah, as a prophet, remember, you know, prophets, they, they had this uh, ability to, to um, 
to have to narrow in, have like a telephoto lens and then also a, a telescopic lens. In other words, they could zero in on, the, on a person's very direct heart motives and then just zoom out and see all the, the entire grand picture. And he, and he did this, he does this regularly. Isaiah does this constantly. Zeroes in and then zooms out. Zeroes in and then zooms out. So even through this, you'll see it happening. It says, but there will be no gloom for who, who was in anguish. In the form, referring to actually, actually Mary in this time. It says, in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep dark darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. Let me, let me just pause here for a second because let me, if you will, have you ever, this is, yeah, I'm just going to go with it. Let me tell you what a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview is on people, population, the masses. You ever get, and I know if you just, just be honest, do you ever get irritated, frustrated with all the traffic and all the people that are always in your way? The laughers are, are honest. <laughs> yes. Go to Disneyland. Go to Disneyland and be like, what, I paid this much money to get in here and all I do is wait in line and ride two rides and it takes me all day? Yeah. But here's, here's one. I, I'm going to give you a biblical perspective and I feel like the Lord's given this to me. And there's times, I believe me, I fall into my flesh and I just get frustrated and irritated at just so many people. So many people. And if you're not careful, you'll start delving into uh, really evil thoughts of like, man, I, I was riding with somebody this week. It's like in, in good old Kevin. I don't know where that little turd is. But he's, yeah, he's like, man. I think someday we just ought to start just controlling our population. Maybe we ought to be like China and only let one person per family have one kid. There's just too many people in the world. I said, that's what I said. Whoa, let me tell you what God says. Be fruitful and multiply. That's what God's, that's God's heart. That's God. God loves people. Even the mass people where there's too many people, God loves a crowd. I know if you can get your brain around that because what happens is we don't. We get stuck in our selfish ways of like, oh, the crowd is just in my way. The crowd is making me late. The crowd is irritating me. And the crowd stinks and smells and there's danger in the crowd and there's scary people in a crowd. Uh, Do you see what I'm saying is it develop God's mindset even over the things that irritate you. And you'll find that God actually loves the crowd. That's crazy. I mean, really, when you stop and think about it, what is a crowd made of? People. <laughs> people. You ever just thought, like, well, they're people like me. 
I'm a part of the crowd. I'm a part of the crowd. I was at Disneyland too with, I don't know, I think it's a, a couple million people they can get in there on a daily basis. And, it, and it, I'm a part of it. Why, why would I be irritated? Because I'm there too. Hello? And so th- think rightly even about the irritating situations that God has allowed in your life. You have multiplied the nation, and that's what God is into multiplication. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. And I love that because it's giving us a really clear picture. You guys know what the day of Midian is referring to? The day of Midian is is a direct reference to, to in in Judges 6 and 7, when when Gideon was called to be God's vessel to restore God's people from the oppressor, was God called to save God's people from the oppressors, the Midianites, who in the, in that time, those those uh, the the fall of Israelites were were um, every time they would gather up their 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 um, oh gosh, my mind has gone blank here for a second. Although their their harvest, all their harvest, uh, the Midianites would come in and they would just basically steal it all, take it all. So they would do all the gathering and all the harvesting, and the Midianites would come in and just take it all. And then, so they had to hard, hide their harvest. And, and that's what Gideon was doing when God called him. He was hiding. And God called him to say, you're going to be my, my vessel to save Israel, to save my people. He said, well, I'm just a nobody. Why would you use me? Use somebody bigger, better, stronger, faster. And he said, no, I'm going to use you. And so he asked, and that's when he, he asked people to join him. And as they asked for this, this joining Thousands gathered, and God had to whittle it down to where there was only 300. It's a great story. It's one of my favorite stories of the Bible, one of Judges chapter 6 and 7. Read it. It's fantastic. And God uses Gideon. God, God uses Gideon through, through uh, if you guys remember, lanterns, torches, and clay jars. And that was it. And trumpets. That was it. And I love it because it's like they really didn't even have weapons. All they did was they just went, they smashed the jars and had the lights surrounded the Midianites. And God sent the Midianites into confusion and fear to where they ran, hightailed it out of there, never bothered the Israelites again. It's awesome. It's saving. Yes. You ought to enjoy the present time then because God's using trumpets again. Amen. Amen. I like this time we live in, even though it's irritating and frustrating. But even that, God has, God has called us to be in it. Amen. So here he's saying that this is what's happening. And I love it because he's talking about it. He's, he's referring to this is, he's referring to Jesus coming, the Messiah coming and using all pieces of history to imprint the Savior coming for a specific purpose in time. And I love that. I love that because it's not just like, oh, let's, let's bring us. It was written from the beginning of time that the lamb was going to be slain, that Jesus was going to save us. Hallelujah. So this comes about. That's what Christmas is about. 
For every boot, I'm going to move, move, move on because I like this and I, there's, this is a good one. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle t- tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Listen, what he's referring to there, and I think this, is, this gets both, the, it zeroes in and it zooms out to this one thing that I believe God is saying to us today. And I think he's using it right now. God God in our adversities will forge his will into your life. God in our trials is forging something beautiful in your life. He does it in history. He does it in nations. He does it in your personal life. He did it in mine. I still can look back at all the things that God God actually, before I knew God, before I knew God, God knew me. And God was using the adversity, if you will. And, and, and yeah, this is a very descriptive, the tramping warrior in battle tumult. In other words, it's like, this is stuff that, where we have to seem to fight to survive, God is using that to forge something inside of you for a greater purpose. And a beautiful presence. Amen? Amen. And and hold on to that because some of us are in the midst of the battle tumult right now. Know that God is forging something. I met with a friend of mine this week that uh, that, uh, we went to high school together this last weekend. And um, it's going to be neat. I'll share it with you even more as the new year comes around. But... uh, He's married to uh, Julianne Benzel. Of course, his name is Greg Benzel, and he, they, she's running for Congress. And, and what, we, what we were talking about is, is our childhood. Our, as, we, as I became a Christian when our senior year, he was one of the only Christians in the school, and he can distinctly remember how God was using me to, to encourage him. And I was telling him how God was using him to, to really kind of keep me. Now, of course, I had Robin as an amazing girlfriend at the time that walked with the Lord, still walks with the Lord, but helped me walk in the ways of the Lord. And Glenn and Linda, of course, but, but he was a friend that was a Christian. And he says, I, I still distinctly remember how you were persecuted and, and you, were, you were mocked and you were made fun of by all of our friends and I still can say, I still look back and say, wow, that was more than what I could have walked through. And I saw you walk through it. And I saw you go through it. And, and we still to this day, even as we met this week, we came to the realization that God was forging something inside of me in adversity that caused me to say, no matter what goes on, no matter what happens, no matter what the world throws at me, no matter what my peers throw at me, no matter even what my family throws at me, I still will choose to follow the Lord. And God forged that. God forged that. He did that. My life as a Christian from the very beginning was challenging, was difficult, was stressful, was hard. I had to dig in and say, this is the direction I'm going to go. No matter what, as peers were pulling me and shredding me, mocking me, ridiculing me to, to all my other friends. God was using that to forge what he now uses me for today. And will use me for on into eternity. 
And that, for that, I am gloriously grateful for. I did not like it, and Robin hated it too. It cost us a lot of despair and a lot of trials and a lot of heartache. Things that were said against us and about us were untrue. Things that were, we were accused of. And I still, and they were even, some of the things were even, you know, as back in the day when, you know, you signed a yearbook at the end of the year. I don't think they do that thing anymore. Does it, do you, they still do that, guys? Really? Well, that's neat. That's great. There was stuff that is still signed in our yearbook that was extremely offensive because we followed Jesus. From people that were my friends the year before I became a Christian. Part of you wants to like delete it and scribble it out and scrape it out, but I think God allows us to see it because he is reminding us what I was doing then was forging something beautiful now. Amen? And that's why we don't, we don't overlook, and we don't overlook even this passage, because then we get to this, where he says, for, to, for unto us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, <laughs> to us. Just, grab, just hold that for a second. For to us. God didn't have to save us. Did you know that? But to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And the word government simply means rule and reign. The rule and reign shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his rule and reign and of peace there will be no end amen that's jesus jesus is come jesus is god in the flesh the light of the world permeating every shadow and penetrating every form of darkness Revealing God through himself to any and all who seek truth. Now here's what I wanted to talk about. Honestly, I did all that to get to this. Yeah, that was the intro. <laughs> You're like, oh dear man, he's already that long. When's Stephen coming back? It's only 20 minutes, yeah. I won't be much longer, I don't think. Try not. In Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we have what is known as the, the Magi, the wise men, who come to visit Jesus. And I don't know if you can. If you can, Michael, can you pop that picture up there real quick that I asked you to, if that's a doable thing? Because I want us to hear something and see something real quick. This is very simple. It's just the timeline of Jesus' early childhood. Born, named and circumcised eight eight days later. Circumcised, dedicated at the temple 40 days later. And you can see see the time frame. I hate to ruin everybody's um, nativity scene, but there were no wise men 
visiting Jesus in the manger. They did not make it then when he was in the manger. In fact, Scripture says he, they were in a house. So they were not in the manger because it was approximately two years after Jesus was born before the wise men made it to see Jesus. And then they flee to Egypt, of course, through dreams that God gives Joseph. And then, of course, eight years and he returns to Nazareth, which is really cool. I don't know. You could pop that out or, or, or uh, <clears throat> remove it now. So here's what's happened. This is in Matthew chapter 2. Of course, we have in the, the account in Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. You have a lot more. There's a lot more description. Well, Matthew picks up right here uh, in Matthew chapter 2. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So that was, that's the whole Luke, like three chapters of Luke. Matthew sums it up in one sentence. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east. I know we refer to them as kings. They were not kings. I know that the three kings sounds really great. And there was, there's definitely more than three. Um, we, these are things that we, in our Christmas caroling and stuff, that we've kind of developed. Isn't it funny how sometimes we develop what we think is truths from things that are folklore? And it's like, okay, wait. Scripture actually says what is true. Um, again, I'm not here to ruin Christmas songs or nativity scenes. I've got, I think we got, how many nativity scenes do we have at our house? I think about a dozen of them. And I love them all. They're awesome. That's like one of my favorite things in our decorations and our house has exploded with Christmas are the nativity scenes. I love them. They're fantastic, right? They're, they're beautiful. And I, I just, sometimes I'll just sit and stare at them. I think they're just really neat. I don't know. Um, I like the ones that are actually a little more uh, genuine, and they'll have shepherds that are, that are um, standing over the baby Jesus as opposed to the wise men. But it's always nice to put wise men in, or, or kings, or noblemen, or um, magi, what they're referred to. So, Herod the king would behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose... And have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that's what, next week we're going to talk about those gifts. Because I think they are symbolic. I believe they are. We all know they are of, of, of even our relationship with God today. 
And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now see here, I'm gonna, a couple things I want to discuss because I think it's, it's important for us to understand. And I, I, this is what I'm going to get to in today because I want us to understand something that goes on inside of us in where do we find Jesus? Where do we look for Jesus? Where do we, where do we find Jesus in different places in our lives? Because here you have these, these uh, wise men or magi is what they were referred to. And Robin and I were talking about this last night about what they actually were and where they came from and how they uh, came about to looking for the, this Messiah. Um, and, when, and all the research I did and stuff that she had shared with me too was, was we, were all, we were both right. You know, I was saying one thing and she was saying another and I come to realize we're both right. Um, is that they were magi, which is they were astronomers, the basically people who who sought through the stars and, and they followed a religion. And this religion was called, if I can remember how to, how to uh, Michael, maybe you can help me, um, Azura Mazda is what it's called. They were followers, they were Persians that followed this religion that basically they were seekers through the stars and this this what they the 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 spirit of who they sought was the non-created spirit that's how they identified their god that they followed the non-created spirit so they they were spiritualist at best in our day and age today new age spiritualist that's what you could refer to them as now here's what's interesting and i I think it's interesting to us that we need to, I, I believe, really take, get a grip of. These spiritualists sought out the truth. Did they not? They sought out the truth, but here's the thing. They still weren't in tune and in line because all they could seek out was truth through outward and external circumstances that led them to Jesus, the Messiah. So they, were, they didn't have an inward leading, guiding by the Holy Spirit as, as even so many like Simeon who was filled with the Holy Spirit and God told him directly who he was to look for, right? That's a different identification of following Jesus. Hello, you guys with me? Listen to what's happening here. So this is what's happening. And so these wise men were seeking truth, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. So much so that when they came, they didn't really know where to go. They just got to a, a vague area. They got to a vague area, and here's what's, what's uh, the star was a, a miraculous star. It was not some sort of scientific, you know, uh, star that happened to be a star, that, and they just accidentally like, well, let's go here and find out. No, it was a miraculous star because two years, remember it was two years, it was what it took them. Jesus was born, and they started their journey. And as this journey started, the, the star was there. And then they hear, if you notice in the text, the star was now no longer there. And then the star reappeared there because they got excited. Now they saw the star again is what it says, actually, in the text. And, it, and they got excited because now they, wow, there it is again. And it was right over where Jesus was. So it was a miraculous star that God, God, in his mercy to all, was willing to reveal the Messiah to people who we in our day would write off as non-God followers, spiritualists. 
Here's where I'm going with this, and I need us to understand this, and I, I hope that we get it, and I hope that I get it too. I think that whereas we need to, we need to be extra cautious, a little careful, that we don't identify, classify people because they're not like us, as though they are unable to come to a knowledge of the truth of the saving Jesus to reveal himself to them. Hello? And I'm asking us to do this, and I'm asking us to be this way because we live in a diverse culture, even in the small city of Lincoln. We live where a psychic plants out a sign and says, call and come, and I'll tell you your future. We have one in town. Do you know every time I see that sign up, I pray for that person. I pray for that man. And I'm longing and looking for the day that God will inspire me and direct me to meet him and come in contact with him and share with him the love of Jesus. Because he's a seeker. He's somebody that seeks something. And God is capable and able to reveal God's truth and God's spirit and, God, and the truth of God's word to that person. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you, I live across the street from people who practice a false cult, uh, religion. They're, they belong to what we would identify as a cult, a Mormon faith. Does that mean that I say, well, they're just, they're unable. No, they can't. No, it means they, there's places in their lives that there's something that they're seeking that is, they're seeking truth. God may place me right at the right time at the right place for, to reveal God's truth into their lives. Hello? What, what I'm saying at this is I believe this is to be true because this is like so right there. Is These were strange people, these wise men. These were odd people. They practiced a, a, a cultish faith. And God still revealed himself to them. And that's awesome. And I think that's important for us to really understand and say yes to. It's like, and really be careful. Because I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself and through all this, you know, where was I before he revealed himself to me? I was completely lost, confused, sinful. Do, do you guys know that when my, I was 12 years old, and, my, and I think I've shared this with you before. But my sister, who's now just like a mess, but, but that's okay. She's, my sister had a desire to go to church. And as the church bus would come and pick her up, and I flipped the church bus off. I, what was I doing? I don't know what I was doing. How stupid is that? I gave the church bus the finger. Twelve years old. I know I laugh at it. I laugh at it now, and she still is like reminds me of it. It's like, yeah. But here's what, but at that same year, I got to tell you what happened. That very same year of 12 years old, I distinctly remember looking up to the heavens one night when we lived in Wisconsin and the stars were beautiful and bright, and looking up to this glorious heavenly star-filled sky never hearing of the gospel never hearing of Jesus never have heard of anything about God but God did something in my spirit there because I looked up and I said wow 
there is something glorious to this. There is, this is wow. That's all I could say was wow. And I said, there's got to be a creator. There's got to be a God. And I believe at that very moment, because that was at the age of 12, that was a crossroads age for me to choose God or not choose God. And I chose God without even knowing it. I chose God. Didn't know God. Didn't know of God. Didn't know anything about God. But I chose God. Those moments, I believe, you know, and it was four years later before God revealed himself through his son Jesus that he actually loved me, died for me, gave his life for me, and I could accept him as my Lord and Savior, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and now have an intimate relationship with a loving God, a heavenly Father. And that, that, is what he wants for every single soul, every single person. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We are the vessels that God uses to reveal God's love to the lost, to the dying, to the confused, to the deceived, to those walking in darkness. Please be careful who you pick and choose to let the love of God in their lives. I still am, I I look back at my life and I, you know those places that those places that of, of adversity i was a i was a mess i i was a mess i'll confess i was a liar i was a thief i was lustful god protected me in all of that from a going too far in areas of my life and I believe that that was God protecting me from things but that was stuff that was in my heart why would God be attracted to that why would God want any part of that (laughs) just like God would want any part of you and any part of your neighbor and any part of your, 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 your child, your parents, your uncle, your crazy uncle. Who, God wants that with them. God wants that with them. And you know, I'll finish with this. Wherever sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We know that is true. Amen? What that speaks of and what that says is very clear. Is that there's nothing that a life, a person can do that can supersede God's grace. In other words, there's, 
Because we, we all, I think a lot of us thought, well, I've just gone too far. I've just done too much. I can't, can't, there's no, no turning back now. No saving this wretched mess. Right, George? <laughs> well, he's, he's, he and I got a thing. Yeah. And that's a lie because the truth is that's exactly what grace does is save a wretch like me. Amen. If any one of you ever changed that song to what this modern PC culture is changing it to, I will spank you. I'll bend you over my knee. Spank you. Oh, you haven't? Oh, I heard it at a funeral the other day. And it just turned my stomach upside down sideways. And it was, they say, that saved a soul like me. No, I'm a wretch. I am a wretch that needs saving. Hello? Amen. And guess what? I'll just say it one more time. So does your neighbor. So does your boss. So do your teachers. So do your children. Hate to say it, parents. Your children are wretches. They need saving. The quicker we come to that truth, the quicker God can step in. God can do the saving that he came to do. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Jesus, for your love for us, for your love that is beyond what we can even comprehend. And sometimes it goes into realms and areas in our life that, that it gets into the, as, as the light just penetrates and, and reveals what's in the dark places of my heart. Even that we're thankful for, that your love penetrates my darkness. Your love brings each of us to the place of repentance. To the place of surrendering to you. And I ask, and we ask, and I ask you, join me in asking you, Holy Spirit, to help me surrender. Father God, I need your help in help for me to surrender. I need you to help me to surrender to you. So Jesus, help us. Help us come to the conclusion that we need you. And the more that we see that truth, the more that we see that you want to use us to show others how much they need you also. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.